Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line. Corks 96 FM. Paul, you're you're a very frequent visitor to China. In fact, you lived there for long periods of time. Your your other half is is Chinese. When you arrived there this time, what was the procedure? I suppose we should start before we left Ireland. What what was the procedure? Okay, so the first procedure, I suppose, the first kind of gatekeeper is the fact that it's very difficult to actually get visas for most people at the moment for most foreigners. Um, basically, they're not issuing business visas. And if you're going to get a business visa, which is what the standard kind of, you're coming into the country to do some work, you'd be getting one of those type of visas. Um, you need to get a letter from either the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the province that you're going to. Um, that, that would be the first thing. So uh, once you do get a visa, then the next thing is they'll issue you with a um, a requirement that you get a a PCR test done and that you have a negative swab 72 hours before you board your plane. So once you get that negative swab, uh, you have to send that back to the Chinese embassy in Ireland. Um, they validate that and they issue with a health declaration form, which is just stamped by the embassy. So when you go to the um, ticket check-in in Dublin airport, uh, they'll, that's the first thing they ask you. They say, look, can we see your health declaration? Mm. So that, that's where, where the first kind of, I suppose, checkpoint is. Then once you're through security and you've gone through all that, um, the next thing is when you're boarding the plane. Um, the first thing they'll do, the, this is boarding the plane to China. Um, my flight would have been Dublin to Heathrow and then Heathrow to Pudong in Shanghai. Yeah. So before I got on that plane from Heathrow to Pudong, they actually they, they do a temperature check first. And then they make you sign up to this um, health application. Um, this health application actually piggybacks off an existing application called WeChat. It will be very similar to WhatsApp, except it's, it's got a lot more functionality. They have a lot of uh, cashless payments and kind of you're able to buy a lot of tickets and you're able to do a lot of like kind of tax stuff on it. But they've obviously expanded it now to include this kind of health passport thing. So that's, uh, it, it includes your kind of uh, contract tracing stuff, um, you know, where you're going to be going in the country, uh, a, a point of contact for you. And then obviously because it's WeChat, it has um, geolocation synced into it all the time. So they know where you're going anyway, even if you don't tell them. So that, that's that. You, so you get on the plane. It's actually funny, PJ, when you're on the plane, if you look around you, you'll see like three to four people and they're in full PPE. And I, I was I was looking at them thinking it was a bit strange for passengers. I thought it was a bit overkill. But they're actually government officials. I, I think a few of them will go on uh, flights. I don't know if it's random or if it's a, 
if it's a process they're doing. But anyway, they um, are on the flight, and then at the end of the flight, before you um, disembark, they check out your, um, they go and they scan that QR code, they check your health declaration, and then they actually disinfect all the plane. How was the plane busy going over? It was, it was jammers actually, surprisingly, um, the whole, I, 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 they were trying to do social distancing, so they'd leave kind of one row bare in some places, but mostly it was, it was fairly, fairly, fairly packed. So you get there, you land, and there's another procedure. Yeah, exactly. So you get there, you land, um, as soon as you get off the plane, then there's people waiting for you, um, and they kind of usher you to the next step, which is your first PCR test done on the mainland. Uh-huh. Um, it's an amazing kind of the way they've done it. They've done it. They, they have a whole kind of, I suppose, you can only go one way is the way I put it. And then the actual PCR testing is outdoors. So they have it in a kind of ventilated prefab area and they have stations. And I'd say there's about 30 stations with, uh, I suppose, uh, a medical technician taking the swab and then behind them directly, you can see they have these... Um, it, it, it's a vertically integrated platform. So with the PCR, there's usually three steps. You do the swabbing. They have the system. It's all integrated. So literally, it's just a cartridge. They put in the swab, and it just goes in like a cartridge, and it outputs the result in 90 minutes. So you get the swab and the result in the one place in an hour and a half. They don't tell you the result, but if you came up as a positive, yeah, you, you'd find out fairly lively you're a positive. But if you're negative, basically, they're, they're going on the assumption you're negative. You'll go through, you'll get your bags, and then as soon as you... Um, go through your bag uh, to get your bag. They'll scan your uh, your code again. And as you go out, then you can see all the areas. So they say, if you're staying in Shanghai, there's kind of one pathway. If you're going to the different provinces, they have different pathways for each province. So I was staying in Shanghai, so I went over, and then there was another two officials waiting for me. They made, they made me scan out and a whole new health application thing just for the city of um, Shanghai. And then they escorted me onto the bus the bus is like, I don't, it, it's almost like something that's wrapped in cling film. It's ridiculous. They have a full uh, kind of uh, separation between the driver. The driver's in full PPE as well. And they just usher you off to the hotel. And when you get to the hotel, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Outbreak, PJ. Yes, I have. It, it's like something from a scene like that. So it's just, it, it's fully kind of draped with a lot of this, uh, I, I don't know, how, it, it's hard to describe, but it's just a, a full kind of covering on the outside anyway with kind of... Um, uh, it's like a big marquee tent over it. It's like the hotel's got its own PPE. Yeah, it's like that. You know, it's it's very well set up. So they bring you in, they scan all the things that you've gone through, and they pack you off to your room. And basically, that's the last. They literally close the door and they say, "Don't come out of this room for fourteen days." And that's that's where it goes from there. Every day, then you have to take your own temperature. They give you a thermometer. You take your own temperature. You have to take a picture of the um, result that you get from the thermometer and you have to upload that onto the app plus kind of give your basic uh, vital statistics, say if you're sick or anything like that. And that has to be done every day. And then you get your three square meals and that's the whole process kind of from from start to finish. As we speak, you're still in that room and, and you have a few days yet to go. The bit that I don't understand, Paul, is like I said, you've got a home to go to. Why can't you just go home? So there was, this was a quite complicated issue. So we, my wife would be from Anhui province and where we are now would be, I suppose, the best part of 800 kilometers. Uh, we actually staggered our flights and there was a bit of a mix up that I, I probably won't go into it now, but sure. basically Etihad had different, different requirements to um, the Chinese government. So they actually wouldn't let my 
white fly on the first flight. So it turned out that we were separated anyway and the government here wouldn't actually let us quarantine together because of that as well. So that was the main one of the main reasons we weren't able to go to uh, her house. And then I think purely because of the, the port we flew into, because we flew into Shanghai and her hometown was so far away that it, it wouldn't be feasible. Now, some people would say, Paul, you're a prisoner in that hotel and that this is an impressive way to do things. You, you clearly disagree. Well, look, I'm, I have the phone propped up against the window. I'm looking out and it's, it's, they're, they're fully open here in Shanghai. Like the, the, the streets are full, all the businesses are open. And as, as I was driving here through the streets, nobody's wearing masks. Um, so like you see old people in their 80s, you know, swanning around about the place, no masks on. So I'm, I think, look, in some ways you have to look at the, does the end justify the means? Um, it can look like overkill. Look, if, if I wanted to go, I could just send them a message and say I want to go home, but I'd be going to the airport and they'd be saying, look, it's our way or the highway kind of. So, yeah, look, I, I understand people's, um, I suppose, reservations about it, but at the same time, in six days, I'll be able to go out and travel the country freely. Um, and, you know, they've, they're, they're clearly doing dealing with these um, this COVID issue better than anyone else in the world, if, if you ask me. So, Who pays for your hotel stay then? I do. So it's a, I'm staying in a nice hotel. It's um, it's called the Bowlong, and my wife is in the Wyndham. So they're, they're big enough chain hotels. And I've actually got a suite. I'm up on the uh, 19th floor. So I've got like, it, it's the equivalent of like a small apartment in let's say Ireland so I have a couch and a TV and everything so it's not bad and it's only it's 500 RMB which would be the equivalent of about I suppose 60 68 euro almost 70 euro maybe around there per night yeah per night yeah, yeah okay it's pricey enough I guess but I suppose it's the cost of like you said freedom at the end now Leo Varadkar said uh, when he was Taoiseach and since since he became Taoiseach he's still saying it that we could not do that here you disagree I think I mean look um, in terms of the mechanism of doing it, it's, it's clearly feasible. Uh, I, I, I can look at the process from start to finish, and there's nothing here that's not technically possible to do in Ireland. So that's point one. And then you have to look at point two, which I think there is some economic benefits to the way we do it um, here in China. And it's if you look back in Ireland, one of the hardest hit sectors in Ireland is the hotel sector and the travel sector. Everything, you know, tourism has been very badly hit. Over here in China, they're able to offset that. Um, even at the start in the lockdown when they were doing the quarantine mandatorily for uh, inward travel because they're able to have their hotels full of people coming in quarantining. So if we were to do the same in Ireland, we were able to designate hotels. They were able to get business and we're obviously able to keep out, uh, you know, people coming in and spreading infection amongst, you know, what, what essentially at Ireland... We're, we're, it's like having a hole in a boat and we're, you know, pushing that water and at the same time the water's coming in the other side. It's, it's, it's pointless unless we have some level of control of our borders. Because the government did rent out City West at, at great expense to the taxpayer, but they don't seem to put anybody into it. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know exactly what the reason the government aren't pulling the trigger on this. I've, I, I, I have heard Leo Vragger, he said two things. He said that, first of all, you know, controlling the border doesn't work, and clearly it does. And again, if he's saying that, you know, having hotels doesn't work, it clearly does work as well. You know, um, you know, hotels for quarantine. And I mean, the northern border is always cited as a reason why we couldn't do something like this in Ireland—that you couldn't have the 
you know, we've two jurisdictions on the one island and, and that it wouldn't work? Well, look, I always find that a, a bit of a sloppy answer. It doesn't work, but I would like to see a reason why it doesn't work, other than the political reasons given. I mean, look, there's, there's, uh, this is unprecedented times, you know. I'm sure everybody can understand that we're doing this for a particular reason. And I'm sure if, if someone was to bring up a, a plausible mechanism and, you know, it's technically feasible to implement that mechanism for controlling the border, then I'm sure it could work, you know. And there's different ways of doing it. Um, like the, the Chinese, they have a health passport system. There's actually a guy I know, uh, Robert Cork, he owns a company, uh, Rocky Media in Ireland, and he's um, doing trials of a health passport system in Ireland at the moment. So the, the, the system is there in Ireland already. So it's just purely pulling the trigger on these things, even if it was a pilot project to see if it's feasible. The, the point you made in your Twitter thread was that this is how they've done it in a country of 1.4 billion people. And they've got this virus under control now. And you're looking back at your, your home country here, 4.7 million in the Republic, 1.1 in the North, and you're asking the question, well, why can't we do it at home? Yeah, and look, you, you, can, you don't even have to take the whole of China. You can look at the cities which have had, uh, you know, localized clusters since they've uh, opened up their lockdown. So they, let's say they formally fully opened up, let's say, in April. They've had two major clusters since then, one in Beijing and more recently in Qingdao. And both of those times, they've been able to control them very quickly. Um, so I think Beijing, if you take the whole population, it's probably close, you know, to 20 million. Qingdao is probably about 10 million. So both of them are orders of scale bigger than the population of Ireland and Northern Ireland put together. Um, so you, you, you can see even on a smaller scale in China, it's feasible. So we, we just have to be kind of looking at what systems they have and can we adapt them in Ireland? Because there are meaningful capacity differences between Ireland and China. But it's purely just about seeing what we have, what capacities are available in Ireland and adapting them to do, to, do, to do that. And the obvious question that I would have to ask you is, let's go back to Wuhan, where, where all this kicked off. And we heard of lockdown and we heard of, you know, nobody in the streets, a city of 10 million people completely deserted. What's life like now in, in Wuhan, you know? Funny enough, I have a colleague who's um, from Wuhan, so I'd have... Uh, good interaction from her telling me how it is over there. It's fully back to normal. Um, they've had no clusters, no outbreaks there. And they're very vigilant. They do fairly regular testing um, on a population-wide level. But in terms of uh, outbreaks and any changes or you know, um, lockdown measures, nothing since that has happened. Wow, that's that's quite spectacular. So finally, Paul, I wish you well. I hope you're not dying of the boredom over there in the hotel room. What lessons do you think finally could could we learn here? Anyone in a place of influence listening to our call, what can we learn? Look, that it is possible to control this thing um, and that we just have to kind of learn from the best is how I see it. You know, you you, you look across the world and... I, I, I see people mention South Korea and Taiwan and, um, you know, lots of different places around the world. And I, I think it's important that to look at those places and really extract what is the key uh, elements of their strategy that has worked and then implemented in Ireland. And I, I will say, look, it's, there, there are certain things we can't do, but there's definitely things we can do. All right, Paul, I wish you a safe end to the quarantine and a happy reunion with your wife. 
I can't wait, DJ. Just six more days now. I'll be out and uh, I, I'll send you on some pictures and stuff of uh, life over here where it's open and no lockdown. I'd love to see that. Thank you very much, Paul. No problem, DJ. Bye-bye. Nice chatting. Paul O'Brien talking to us from the 19th floor of a hotel in downtown Shanghai where he's quarantining mandatorily uh, by order of the Chinese government for another six days before he can go out and live free and easy in a country where they have, for the most part, eliminated this virus. Corks 96 FM.